everyone. You're listening to Ed Young Radio, Ed Pastors Fellowship Church, and we want to thank you for listening with us. These next few minutes together can change your life, and you can always hear more by visiting edyoung.com. Enjoy the message. Today I'm going to talk about a very unpopular subject, but hopefully as I unpack it, it'll become very, very popular. I'm talking about a subject that does not sell a lot of books or does not pack out a lot of conferences. This subject is rarely spoken about, especially in church. It is, however, one of the major themes in Scripture. It's painted upon the canvas of the biblical record some 600 times. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the judgment of God. The judgment of God. That's kind of scary, isn't it? The word judgment, it sounds condescending, capricious, rather cruel, there's a real finality about it, judgment. In our politically correct culture, people say, well, don't judge me. You're judging me, Uh, uh, don't, don't judge me. What's so ironic about that statement is when we tell people not to judge us, we're judging by saying, don't judge. Oh. Really, when we say don't judge me, we're saying, Don't get in my face. Don't point out a wrong in my life. Don't get up in my grill. The judgment, the judgment. I think all of us realize that there's gonna be a payday someday. Uh, You could take the biggest cynic, agnostic, atheist anywhere around the world, and I truly believe in their heart of hearts, they know, they know, there's gonna be a judgment one day. The judgment of God looms large in everyone's life. We don't like to consider it, we don't like to think about it. It's unpopular, as I said. I believe, though, it can become a popular subject, especially as we talk about some of the things today. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Do do you like to get some trophies? Do do you you like to get awards, rewards? I do. I think everybody does. We dig that. Think back, just for a second, think back in your life. Think back to the time you received your first trophy. When was that? For me, I'll just go ahead and share with you because I'm talking to you. For me, I played for a little peewee football team called the Brookwood Forest Bulldogs. I was a terrible player. I was seven years old and our colors were white, black, and red. We had some great uniforms. At the end of the season, our coach was benevolent enough to give all of us a little trophy. And, and during the award ceremony, I was just like, just, just looking at that trophy. Finally, the coach got to me, you know, why, usually at the, at the end, and he was trying to say something nice about everybody. He goes, well, Ed Young, Ed showed up to practice faithfully every day, and Ed, here's your trophy. And when I walked up the steps to receive the trophy, I was so locked into the trophy, I literally just took it from him. And all the parents laughed. But that's so true. I love trophies, so do you. We think about the Heisman Trophy. We think about the Outland. We think about the Golden Globes, Emmys, Grammys, Purple Heart. We love trophies, the gold watch for 25 years of service. We love trophies. If you are a believer in the house, if you're hearing my voice right now on the floor, the balcony, if you're one of the thousands in all of our campuses, if you are a follower of Christ, check it out. 
Jesus has some serious trophies, some serious hardware he wants to give you. Isn't that great? And, and that has to do with the judgment of God. So on one hand, Jesus wants to give these trophies to all believers. On the other hand, though, the trophies will be given out during a judgment ceremony. Every Christian is going to be judged. Did you hear that? Again, it's not a popular subject. It will be, though. Every Christian is going to be judged. You can say, now, wait a minute, Ed. My God is a God of love. My God is a God of grace. He's not a God of judgment. Well, you can't talk about the grace and the forgiveness of God without talking about God's wrath, God's punishment, and God's judgment. You can't do it. And we've sort of lifted this character trait out of the character of God. God is a God of judgment. We're made in his image. We have this judgment chip in our lives. When we see some, some things that are wrong, we want those wrongs to be made right. When we see injustice, we want justice. We always say, somebody has got to pay. When we hear about a tragedy, when we see someone taken advantage of, we say, somebody's got to pay. God has set eternity in our hearts, Ecclesiastes 3.11, and part of this eternity is the judgment of God. So, so Christians, you're going to be judged. I'm not talking about whether or not you're going to heaven. No, 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 no. We're all going to heaven if we've been wrecked by grace, if we've received the mercy of the Lord. What I'm talking about, though, is I'm talking about the judgment of God. I'm talking about real accountability, real vulnerability. But during this ceremony, there's going to be some serious, serious rewards being handed out. God is holy. God has to judge stuff that's unholy. If God doesn't, he ceases to be holy. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Is it your Lord? Is he number one? Have you given your life to him? Let's talk about judgment, specifically the judgment of you and me, because there's a date with deity we all have. We can't put it off. We're going to face it. We're going to look into the blazing eyes of Jesus Christ himself. Judgment, J-U-D-G. Who thinks there's an E next? Raise your hand. Wrong. I'm a horrible speller. I checked it out four or five times. M-E-N-T. The judgment seat. It's also called the Bema seat. Have I misspelled anything so far? That might help some of you. You like that? Well, see, that's the way I made my J's. Anyway. Back in the Greek games, a judge would have an unencumbered view of everything going on, the races, the pole vaulting, the long jump, the discus, whatever. Jesus is sitting on the bema seat. He has an unencumbered view of your life and mine. So, so, so believer, we will have to give an account of every thought, 
every deed, every conversation, every idle word, and these will be made visible during the judgment, at the judgment seat. And the judgment seat happens to be reserved for those here who are believers. Now, what happens when, when someone dies, dude? I mean, where does their soul go? Is there some kind of a purgatory or waiting room or holding cell? No. When someone dies, their soul either goes to heaven or to hell. The judgments that I'm gonna talk about, and there's two, have to do with something that happens later. When someone dies and their soul goes to heaven or hell, that's invisible. This is visible for everyone to see. So think about it. I mean, again, you wanna talk about putting the cards on the table. Everything you've ever done wrong, thought wrong, said wrong, whatever. I mean, that's, that's a lot. And, and, and read here, motive. Because that is what the Lord himself is going to look at. Thankfully though, when all that stuff is out there visible, it's all under the blood of Jesus, right? We're all going to heaven. That's the good side of it. The convicting side of it, the motivational side of it is Jesus will hand out rewards. And there's five rewards that I wanna to touch on just for a couple of seconds. And you might wanna write these scripture verses down. Now, while you're getting ready to write, listen to me very carefully. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. 2 Corinthians was written to who? Christ followers, who? Believers, who? Those who've been wrecked by grace, who? Those who had bowed the knee to Christ. Here's what the writer says, for we must all, that's everybody. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Ouch. The Lord himself is gonna judge my motives. The Lord himself is gonna judge your motives. Whoa. Man, that's, that's, that's scary. I mean, think about it. Turn over now to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Written to who? Believers. The Lord will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. So picture this judgment seat. You're going to have people at the judgment seat, people that a lot of us knew who were wealthy. And a lot of us thought these wealthy people were really generous to the bride, the church. But these wealthy people will be seen, their resources and their generosity will be seen for what it really is, throwing pocket change at God. They never really brought the tithe. They never really leveraged their resources for eternity. They just made a bunch of noise and showed everybody, oh, I'm the man, I'm the woman. But they robbed God. Their heads will hang in shame. There will be tears here. I'm not talking about heaven, I'm talking about the judgment seat. Others who had opportunities to serve, others who had opportunities to mark 
kids or, or students to work, let's say, and volunteer at our beautiful Alasso Ranch, who said, no, I'm too busy. Those who had an opportunity to share Christ but didn't really do it, those who had an opportunity to help someone less fortunate, those who had an opportunity to invite someone to Fellowship Church, their motives will be seen for what they were and what they are. Selfishness or others driven. So it's gonna be a time, yeah, a time of rejoicing for some, but a time of trauma and drama for others because what we do on this side of the grave affects where we will spend eternity, also what we do with what God has given us, your abilities and mine, your talents and mine, your time and mine, your treasure and mine, will be judged based on how we leverage those for the glory of God. That's heavy. Now, when I say that, some are going, well, Ed, you know what? That's fine and dandy, but I just want to get into heaven by the hair of my chinny chin chin. I mean, that's, that's all I'm really worried about, dude. I don't, I don't care about all the reward stuff. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Because heaven is going to be a place of worship. And see, we think worship is just what we did earlier. That's, that's, yeah, that's worship, but worship is everything we do say, touch, and feel. Life should be worship. In heaven, we live life. In heaven, we continue this perfect plan that God has for us, using our time and talent and agenda and abilities for the glory of God. If I've developed my gifts, if you've developed your gifts, then we'll have more responsibility in heaven. And friend, there is levels in heaven. It's not like those in the lower level will go, man, I wish I was at the upper level. It's not going to be that because it's going to be heaven. However, we'll discover to a greater degree who we are if we develop those gifts. You might be saying, okay, Ed, what are the gifts? Let me, let me just fly through them very, very rapidly. Here are the rewards. The first one would be the rewards for those who taught the Bible. If you taught the Bible to one, to two, to 10, to 20, to 200,000, you will receive a reward. Some of you who have a gift of teaching, a gift of communication, who wasted on other things will miss this reward. Where's the scripture? First Peter chapter five, verse four. The second reward will be for those who rate, those who wait for the return, the return of Jesus. They've got one eye, right, on eternity, and the other eye on the earth. And when we live against the backdrop of eternity, that guts greed, that, that, that gives a glancing blow to the monster of materialism, and that shows us that every person we've ever locked eyes with matters to God. The third one is for those who shared Christ with others, those who shared the love and the grace of Jesus with others. You have a sphere of influence that I don't have. You have leadership that I don't have. It might be one, it could be more. What are you doing with what God has given you? Because just think, you're the only Jesus that many people will ever, 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 ever see. What are you doing with that? That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 19 and 20. 
The fourth is those here who are disciplined. I'm talking about the spiritual disciplines. What does it mean to be disciplined? It means doing what you ought to do so then you can do what you want to do. Because when we do what we ought to do before God, then our desires and His desires sync up. People think, well, Ed, you must always love to pray. You must always love to read the Bible. You must always love to study. Are you kidding me? No, I don't. I don't always like to do that. And I don't do it every single day. I sometimes miss days, but almost every day I do. And sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes I get bored. Sometimes my mind wanders during prayer. The spiritual disciplines though of solitude, of fasting, of listening to God, of a lot of things build real stuff. And so many of you are so disciplined in your life. It's just like the athletics that the Bible talks about so often that went on uh, during, during the Grecian games, during, during the Greek games. Those men and women were disciplined. They did what they ought to do so then they could do what they wanted to do. They trained their muscles with discipline. And discipline's not always fun, but I'm telling you, it'll take you places you never dreamed. The fifth one would be those who have endured. Endured. James chapter 1, verse 12, the half-brother of Jesus said, when trials come, he talks about endurance. That's huge because many of you have lived a Job-esque life, trial after trial, testing after testing, tragedy after tragedy. You will receive an amazing reward of endurance. That's what's gonna play out during this beam of seat. Our motives and these five rewards, these are just five of many, many, many will be given to you and to me. But don't show up at the judgment seat and, and look at the head table and see all these trophies piled up and, and, and don't watch Jesus scratch his head and like, man, I wanted to give that to you. I wanted you to develop that. I wanted you to try that, but, but, but you didn't do it. Don't be that person. The judgment of God. First Corinthians chapter three, verses 13 through 15. His work will be shown for what it is. That's yours and mine. Because the day will bring it to light. It'll be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he's built survives, he'll receive his reward. If it's burned up, he'll suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. You don't wanna to get to heaven and still smell like smoke. Let's talk about another judgment. Let's talk about the judgment for non-believers. The judgment for those who reject Christ. As I said earlier in my opening comments, I believe everybody knows that they're gonna face a payday someday. I believe everybody knows that judgment is in the cards. I believe everybody knows that this is gonna happen. The, 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 the most cynical cynic to the most arrogant agnostic. 
This is called, and this is for unbelievers. This is for believers. It's visible. This is for unbelievers. This is visible. This is called the great white throne. The great white throne. It is for those who are non-believers. This, of course, would be for believers. Understand that. This is for non-believers. Now, at this time, every person who has ever lived, who has rejected Jesus, will face the great white throne. The souls that are in hell will come back and they'll have a little pause as they face the great white throne judgment. Now, at about this time, some of you are saying, well, (laughs) how could a good God hurl people to hell? Answer, God doesn't hurl anybody to hell. We make that choice. We have a freedom of choice. God is just, God is fair. But I know some of you right now in a crowd this size, if you were to die in a car accident on the way home or on the way to brunch, you would spend eternity in hell. You've chosen to reject God. You've chosen to keep God at bay. You've chosen to say, you know what, I'll do that later. And when you die, Jesus will look at you and say, you know what, you chose to to stay away from me on earth. I'll even grant you your wish in a greater measure. So here, it's like a courtroom setting. The judge, once again, is Jesus. The evidence will be brought against non-believers. What's the evidence? Everything you've ever said wrong, thought wrong, done wrong, everything, everything. Now, when the evidence is presented, sin, and you've not received a payment for the sin, Jesus, you know what you're gonna do? Oh, you, will go into a defense mode. I'm in a courtroom. I, I just, I just, I just go into my defense. And you'll look at Jesus and you'll say, Jesus, I need mercy. He's gonna say, there's no mercy here. You see, we have mercy available to us now. We have grace available to us now. We have forgiveness available to us now, but once we die, there's no deal cutting, there's no maneuvering, there's no getting God to change his mind. It's over, baby. Game is over. You have it now. What are you doing with the now? I can't make you. It's between you and God. 
Then some will say, well, I need some, I need some justice. That's what I need. I, I, I need justice, Lord. No, you don't, you don't need justice. You need mercy. But, but, but that's over. It's over. And then, let me, let me read you some, some, some very, very chilling verses. And hopefully these verses will scare the hell out of you. They should. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 14. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Again, remember, I got, I, I messed my shoes up here. Let's see. I love these shoes. Look at that. Got white paint on them. Well, I mean, just, just one second. If you don't, you don't tackle a spot very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I'll blot it. Yeah, thanks, man. See, this thing's not coming out. You know what it's like? It's like that. You'll be trying to cover your sins. It ain't coming out. It's not coming out. Revelation 20. I'll say it again. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence. That's Jesus. And there was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small. Adolf Hitler, mass murderers, rapists, child molesters, serial killers from the beginning of time until now. In verse 12, it talks about the book of life is opened. And the dead were judged according to what they had done. The Bible says when someone becomes a follower of Christ, here's what happens. Their names are recorded. I'll use another pen. <laughs> Red. In the Lamb's book of life. Because you've applied the blood of Jesus to your life. Every person, when they follow Christ, their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Are you in the book? I mean, are you going to say to Jesus, uh, 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 Williams? He'll say, okay, okay, W, W, W. Mark Williams? Mark D. Williams? No, you're not there. Smith. Okay, Smith, 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 Smith. Well, you get an opportunity, you know, at Fellowship Church in, in November during, during the series, uh, End of the World, but you said no. You see, you chose hell. Are you in the Lamb's book of life? If you're in the Lamb's book of life, you're going to heaven. What are you doing with what you've done? If you're not in the book, you face a Christless eternity. You face a forever in a place called hell. And if you go to hell, you're going to a place that was not designed for you anyway. Did you know that? Hell wasn't made for human beings. I said hell wasn't made for human beings. Hell was made for the devil and the demons. It wasn't made for anybody. People choose to go there. Let's keep going. Verse 13, Revelation 20. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. 
And each person was judged according to what he had done. Sin, unholiness. God has got to judge unholiness. If he doesn't, he's not holy. God sent Jesus to do what? To pay the price on Calvary for our sin. Those of us in the Lamb's Book of Life, paid. Those who are here have rejected this amazing gift. Look at verse 14, Revelation 20. It's not Revelations, it's not Walmarts. It's Revelation, it's Walmart. So we're going, really? Walmart. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Watch this. We're born once, we die twice. We're born twice, we die once. I've got a birthday. Mark it down. March 16th, it's my birthday. I've also got a spiritual birthday when I was like 11 years old. That's my spiritual birthday. I was born again into the family of God. I'm born twice, I'll die one time, that's it. How about you? Obviously you got a birthday, you're here. Do you have a spiritual birthday? Have you been born into the family of God? Revelation 21 now, verses four through eight. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Here's what I believe. This is what I believe personally from scripture. I believe that those of us at the Bema seat will see this great white throne. And I believe many of us will shed tears, tears of sorrow because people that we know, people that we came in contact with, people in our neighborhood, people in our dorm room, people in our team, people at our office will be sent because of their sinfulness to hell. I think also there's gonna be drama and trauma here because we're gonna see people that we should have shared with, that we should have invited, that we should have engaged, but we didn't do it. One of the most powerful questions you can ask someone goes like this, how are you doing? Because most of us are about three questions away from a breakthrough in a person's life. Who has God placed around you? Who is choosing to go to hell? Look at verse eight, Revelation 21. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the adulterers and liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So here, you're not gonna meet Jesus as savior, but you will meet him as judge. That's the judgment of God. And this judgment 
should cause great motivation, whether you're a believer or non-believer. Well, let's keep dieseling on. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we either bow now or bow later. Wait a minute, I don't understand this, my brother. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow? Even, even, even the unbelievers, even the people that reject it, every tongue confess? Yes, yes, because the last thing that the unbelievers will see, those people that rejected Christ, the last thing they will see will be Jesus ruling and reigning on the throne and everybody, this represents their knees, will bow the knee to Jesus. And they'll have that forever thought, that forever image on the frontal lobes of all of their brains throughout eternity. Well, man, I don't mind going to hell because my friends are gonna be in hell and we can party in hell. <laughs> the Bible says, even if your friends are there, you won't know it. It's a place of utter isolation. It's a place where you can do anything and everything you've ever wanted to do alone. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's been described as a place where it's a forever feeling of scorpions stinging. It's that regret, it's that remorse that you had the opportunity, but you said no. Now this series at, that I've done called The End of the World, this series on the end times has been one that prayerfully has really been motivational for all of us because it's so easy in a series like this, as I've said, to get so caught up in the whens and the whys and the hows that we miss the who, the you, and what in the heck we're supposed to do. Knowledge is one thing. Information is one thing. But the deal is transformation. Well, here's what can happen, speaking of transformation, in every life here. And let, me, let, me, let me talk to believers, and then let me talk to pre-believers, because I believe many people are right on the edge of becoming believers, and I think at the end of the service, you'll become a believer. So check this out. You can become four things. Number one, you can become a man or woman of justice. Say justice with me. Justice. Have you ever been betrayed? I have. You ever been taken advantage of? I have. You ever been hurt? I have. You ever been stabbed in the back? I have. Everybody has. Betrayal happens. Pit happens, right? You're pushed in the pit of betrayal. What do you do about it? I'll get them back. What do you do about it? I'll make them pay. No, you don't. You become a person of justice. God, you take care of them. God, you're going to settle accounts. God, I know vengeance is yours. I'm going to leave room for the wrath of God, we can become people of justice. 
Also, we become something else. We can become people of forgiveness. Say forgiveness. 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 God is the God of forgiveness. He's the God of the second chance, the God of the mulligan. Golfers got that. All we have to do is look at the cross. It should encourage us to seek forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is not saying this. Well, I apologize if I hurt you. I'm sorry if you took it the wrong way. No, no, no. That's a bunch of crap that celebrities and politicians read from lawyers when they apologize. And those are pitiful. Those aren't apologies. If I do that, I'm still saying, well, I'm saying, you're an emotional basket case. You are an idiot if you took it the wrong way. I mean, here's how you apologize. I was, some of us choke on this, wrong. Will you forgive me? Now, it's up to the person to either receive it or not. But the Bible says, as far as it depends on you, you do the work. Some students need to say those words to parents. Some husbands need to say those words to spouses. Some wives need to say those words to husbands. Some kids need to say that maybe to a coach, a teammate. Maybe you need to say it to a business partner, I don't know. I was wrong, will you forgive me? What would happen if we really trafficked the business of forgiveness? Because that's the gospel. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Also, number three, I can become a man or woman of righteousness. Say righteousness with me. Righteousness. Man, that's righteous. What does it mean to be righteous? It means to be holy and pure. God is holy. He tells us, therefore, we are to be what? Holy. God is pure. Therefore, we're to be pure. We can't be perfect. None of us here are perfect. But we need to, to live a holy lifestyle. Do you realize sexual sin hurts the heart of God? Do you realize living together hurts the heart of God? Do you realize premarital sex hurts the heart of God? Do you realize viewing porn hurts the heart of God? Do you realize outbursts of anger that it's not godly because there is godly anger, but anger that's ungodly hurts the heart of God. You realize greed hurts the heart of God. You realize materialism hurts the heart of God. You realize exaggeration and lying hurts the heart of God. You realize saying check is in the mail hurts the heart of God. You realize that? It does. It does. As we live righteous lives, as we play for an audience of one, people are drawn to us. As we realize this is an eternal thing, not a temporal thing. This is a thing that lasts forever and ever and ever. And let me tell you something, forever is a long time. If you don't believe me, one day you're going to face the Lord. You'll be like, whoa, man, I didn't listen. I didn't pay attention. I just put it off and I believe the lie of the devil himself. The fourth thing, we need to be evangelistic. Evangelists. Say it with me. Evangelists. I don't mean white hair and white shoes and yeah, nah, nah. I don't mean like that. I mean real. 
real evangelists, real evangelists, real people who are sharing their faith. Go ahead and let these people go for a second. Because you know what? See you later. You know what? The devil himself, I'm not saying they're the devil, but listen to me very carefully. He's always going to put up distractions. Always. Always when people's eternity is hanging in the balance. I've had the opportunity for 20 years now at Fellowship Church to share Jesus with a lot of people. Let Let me tell you this. Most every home, I'm sorry, in most every home or apartment that I've ventured into, and when I've gotten down to someone praying the prayer of salvation, when I've gotten down to the point of someone praying that prayer of salvation, let me tell you what's happened. This, this will freak you out. Dogs start freaking out. Babies start crying. The phones start ringing off the hook. I've seen people get sick on their stomach. That doesn't surprise me at all. You know what that tells me? I, I mean, are, you, are, you, are you ready for that now? Okay. Unless it was like an imagined emergency, those people getting up and walking out. I mean, come on. But you know what? There's, there's no use to get angry. That's the devil tipping us off to people who need to get saved. That's what it is. That means we got some serious people who are facing the great white throne. That's what it means. Uh, we've had the power go out here at Fellowship Church. We've had, we've had the craziest stuff happen right when you get down to that point of someone receiving Christ. So I want to talk to those people who are non-believers. Have you made that decision? Have you taken that step? I can't make it for you. I can tell you how to do it, but I can't make it for you. You've got to say yes or no, heaven or hell. Grace, forgiveness, or wrath, and judgment. Judgment without a defense. What's it going to be for you? Now, are you, are you telling me you're guaranteed tomorrow? You think those soldiers who were at Fort Hood thought that would be their last day on an army base? Do you think the hundreds and hundreds of people who will die on freeways around the world, you you think when they jumped in their car, they thought, okay, this is going to be it. This is my last time in a car. Seriously. Do you think people who dropped out of heart attacks or Cerebral hemorrhages, you know, they think, okay, about five minutes, I'm going to be out of here. The Bible says we don't know the time. And we prepare for the future in so many different ways with money and with children and with all this stuff, but you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. You want Christ? Do you want to know Him? He wants to know you. Just open up your life to him. Well, how do you do it, Ed? It's very simple. You just say this to God. Bow your heads with me for a moment. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Just say, God, God. Just say, God, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've fallen short. I've committed moral turnovers, and I admit that to you. I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins and rise again. And I ask you, just ask him. I ask you to come into my life. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace. Jesus, welcome to my world. Tax, title, and license, I give it all to you. My mind, my body, my future, I give everything to you. Everything to you. Everything to you. 
If you said that prayer at one of our campuses, if you said that prayer on television, if you said that prayer while watching this online or at a, in a podcast or here or whatever, if you said that prayer, Jesus just recorded your name in red in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that's something to celebrate, man. Thank you for listening, and thanks to all who give so generously to this ministry. It's because of you that we can continue this show and equip people with the hope of heaven. You can click the link in the description to support the show or visit edyoung.com. There you can also be resourced with bonus content for free, including a daily devotional. We also encourage you to share the message today with those around you. Thank you again for listening. God bless.